Welcome to Inaudible. I'm your host, Jeremy Weiland, and I am not joined by a co-host today because I am recording a bonus episode, and this is just an intro for something that we did uh, at our May 2023 membership meeting where I gave a presentation on organizing seekers. What I'm trying to do in this presentation is sketch out an idea for how we could handle all of the aspects that go into creating an environment and resources and support for spiritual seekers who wish to live their lives according to the law of one and are trying to figure out how exactly to do that. Um, there were aspects of this meeting that went into details that uh, aren't appropriate to share publicly, so it's edited, but at the same time, I was wanting to start a larger conversation. I have launched this website, the councilforsocialmemory.org, that's designed to uh, look into starting a nonprofit, an official nonprofit organization that could be an umbrella for all Law of One Seekers, but that's very uh, indistinct and uncertain what people think I mean by that. Uh, this presentation was designed to dial it in a little bit to show where there is need for this kind of thing and where there is a lack of definition and room to improve or maybe even to get a conversation started about some alternative model that could uh, shore this up. Uh, so anyway, without any further ado, I'll take you right into the presentation on spiritual organizing. All right. So what I've been thinking about, and, I, and, and, and as a uh, uh, preface, I want to make it clear that um, this is all based on my personal conjectures, uh, my experience in my professional life with how organizing involves coders and put and putting product and code and all sorts of units of a business pointing in the same direction. Hey, Barish, we're just getting started with the main presentation. Um, how to get um, uh, people in uh, uh, like neighborhoods and communities and activists organized. Um, all of this comes from my personal experience and I've kind of pasted it to a certain extent upon the the conundrum that I found myself in in 2018 when I suddenly didn't have a home for spiritual things. And so this is kind of like how this has evolved, but it's been very piecemeal and catch as catch can. Uh, it's open to criticism. It's open to interruption. Please feel free to just jump in and interrupt me with any questions. Uh, this is very loose and my notes are very loose. Um, and uh, you shouldn't take the fact that I have slides as anything, but I had a little extra time after I put my notes together and I wanted something uh, so it didn't rely upon me thinking of everything all the time. Okay, with that caveat and with the notion that dissent and critique are welcome, what I wanna talk about is the idea of spiritual organizing because I believe that we are at a moment now with the tools of remote communications very openly available, um, the level of interest in the law of one kind of hitting a critical mass of some kind, not enough of a critical mass for social memory, but a critical mass of some kind. And then sort of some insights that 
uh, I've had presented to me uh, where it seems clear that like, there's a way to go about this that uh, doesn't have to be as kumbaya-ish as we all think. It can't, it's not just gonna be everybody being best friends with everybody else. I don't think that that model is, success, is, is, is really useful. I tend to have the intuition that when social memory comes together, it's gonna organize on some sort of cellular level where the connections are gonna be very uh, particular to the character of the cells and how they make the whole uh, interface with uh, the planet as the subconscious of the social memory complex and the people in the social memory complex, the mind-body-spirit complexes as the conscious. Uh, because there's a, uh, there's a lightos that goes into this and it tends, if we adhere to the notion that in fourth density, the veil is going to drop between our individual consciousnesses and, and unconsciousness, it's also maybe the case that it will also drop between the earth as an entity and us as a unified complex. So I think that you have to be very careful in having a strategy for approaching this, right? Because there's so much that you don't know. This is really about getting a conversation started. It's not about me handing down the way to do it. I don't know the way to do it. I don't even know if the working group is gonna to continue to work out. These are all just uh, things I'm throwing at the wall and seeing, seeing what sticks, but I would welcome, I, what I wanna do is start the conversation and I welcome the input. So I wanna start with three you know, items. What is organizing? What am I talking about in material terms? Um, what does that have to do with seekers and the spiritual dimension of this? And then where would this possibly go? All right. So what is organizing? What is that thing that they kept uh, saying that Barack Obama did when he was in Chicago? Uh, what is that thing that everybody is looking at labor uh, uh, organizers doing? And um, you know, I, I just seen this term come up over and over and over again. I used to think that it was um, a kind of superficial thing, right? Organizing is a way to sort of create a polity that then you can lead and, and, and tell what to do and, and be the face of. But um, I really like from, from Occupy Richmond on started to see that it's really um, about uh, creating a way in which a group of people with a common interest or problem can come together to address it, to solve it, to work on it. Um, and in the process of doing this, in the process of this work together, um, build trust and relationships that can be relied upon and are sustainable. Um, you know, one of the things that really made an impact on me as somebody who's interested in the labor struggle is how common work over and over and over again has been shown to um, work against racial animosity within, within uh, the working class. Uh, they've done studies that show that, you know, racist workers and minority workers who hate each other, they work together on a common cause and somehow they find a way to come up to, to overcome those things. Doesn't mean it's a rock solid rule and that we shouldn't be addressing these bigotries on their own terms, but just the idea that there seems to be something in finding a common cause and working towards it that breaks down preconceived notions and uh, makes people feel a camaraderie with each other. 
and then what is what is a social memory complex? What is a planet coming together? But this kind of camaraderie and this feeling that we all have this common thing at stake in this common project. Um, so then, how do we take that idea that you know has been done by you know political types? Um, is done by business types. It's done by all sorts of types in the uh, secular world. And how do we take that into spirituality? What would that mean? And um, how do we do it in a way that doesn't become creepy or culty, right? <laughs> um, so, and, and also most importantly for us in the law of one, how do we do it in a way that maximally respects free will? And I think it's, it's about um, recognizing that the starting position that everybody's coming from, especially in this late day, uh, is a lot of isolation. Um, folks uh, are more isolated now than they've ever been before. The solitude and the individuality of thinking about spirituality is pretty much at this point ingrained in everybody. Everything that can be done by some outsider to, to, to address that situation and give people more community is really building uh, uh, new foundations when it comes to spirituality. Nobody really has a lot of uh, trust or, or accepts the legitimacy of mega churches, the Catholic church. Pretty much there's, most people don't, are, are kind of turned off by the way that their churches are governed a lot of the times or their spiritual group. I mean, look at, look at how, uh, you know, talking to people online about the law of one can often degrade into a power struggle or some sort of like uncomfortable thing. Um, you know, one of the things that made me want to create a working group where we would have tighter net connections is the experience of uh, trying to build community on bring forth with all of the other people who were interested in LL research and uh, seeing how anybody could just walk in off the street and uh, knock over a finely tuned uh, uh, harmony that we had worked hard to bring into existence. And that didn't mean that we didn't try over and over and over again. Uh, I didn't take from that experience that everything about Bring Forth was bad. There was actually a lot of really good connections that were made on there, um, at least in my opinion. Uh, the issue is that we that no one group I started to, I started to consider no one group can solve all of these needs. You know, I remember uh, at uh, the Asheville uh, homecoming event, I think it was the first one in 2017 or 2018, uh, they were talking about marriages this way. You know, we put so much uh, 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 duty and responsibility on a marriage to be, you know, your lover, your friend, your confidant, uh, your financial partner. A marriage bears a, a huge load, and it's a shame that we don't have, I mean, in other indigenous societies, this wasn't that way, right? Like, there, there was a lot more flexibility and fluidity because the community as a whole was together. And that's kind of how I see any sort of, like, seekers group, uh, especially online. Um, it's just a lot of weight for it to hold with very little tools for people being able to govern it uh, effectively. Although I will say that the new Bring Forth using Discourse software uh, has has really improved a lot, and I've been enjoying uh, participating on there. Um, but it still only has like a certain dimension of conviviality. It's not the whole thing, 
And so what I wanted to uh, experiment with was a model in which uh, we could have multiple levels of community that are all meeting different uh, but interrelated needs. And so a seeker has a holistic way of engaging other selves. Um, with the goal at each of these levels, at each of these levels, we are trying to build trust. Seems clear to me from the uh, messages we've gotten from the Confederation that this trust is what is gonna be the common coin of social memory. Um, it's going to be facilitated. I, I, I have an intuition that we're gonna learn to trust and then we'll have the, uh, the capability to you know, do telepathy and to see into each other's hearts. It's gonna come from us making ourselves vulnerable and everybody else doing this. And then we will get that network coming together. It's just a conjecture of mine. But um, I do think that building trust is something we can do right now. It's something that's desperately needed. And it doesn't even have to necessarily be thought of in a narrowly spiritual way, which is kind of where I'm going. And then one other thing that maybe hasn't gotten enough uh, attention lately is the resources. Online seeking uh, does take resources and not all of it is able to be done uh, free, of, free of cost. So there is a sort of conundrum there where we don't want, um, we don't want a uh, seeker to not be able to access uh, community due to lack of funds or something like that, or not having a computer if possible, right? Like that's a huge situation. It's a, it's a key that we need to make sure is as uh, standing in as little in the way as possible of people seeking. So where do we go from here? Um, so the, I, I consider there to be sort of three different levels at which things are happening. I have sort of assigned based on my own reasoning uh, duties to each of these scales in the groups that represent them for a given seeker um, and, and, and how they would be separated and why. And I'm gonna go into that now, but um, I, I think that there is a place for three levels of organizing. Uh, one would be local groups. So this would be like your local meditation group, your local law of one study group, where you get together at a physical location with physical people who you can look in the eye and you can talk about um, spiritual matters, maybe not even law of one related necessarily. You're building deep connections with people who can share energy directly with you. And that's the most important thing. That's the level, that energetic level of, of, of community is what's taken care of there. At the remote scale, what we're talking about is something like the working group. Um, it is uh, a virtual group that is virtual <laughs> in virtue of the fact that uh, it's hard to find law of one seekers who are knowledgeable enough with the material, have done the work on themselves, right? They're doing daily meditation, stuff like that. That's hard to find um, in every city, every locality. So at a remote scale, if we can make these commitments and start building trust, knowing that we've already done some of the work that gets things moving, knowing that we've already done the personal seeking that clears the ground for a group project to build trust in the way that we think, uh, that's what the remote scale is. And then this planetary scale one, this is the work in progress. This is the thing that if you've seen me uh, uh, post about this idea of a council for social memory, 
what I'm talking about is an umbrella org that is not itself a seeking org, but is instead an organ of the seekers to be able to raise funds and, and, and sort of do things that span across channeling groups, span across different understandings of the law of one, um, and can start to uh, concentrate and distribute resources for particular groups. This way, the seeking groups can apply for grants or have some sort of funding relationship that doesn't make them the same decision makers as the ones who are collecting the money. Um, to me, this is, a, this is an issue uh, that I saw at other organizations and I wanna nip it right in the bud. To date, uh, it's been working group members who've been funding our activities out of pocket and I have had a great pleasure in doing that. And I know that the others who have contributed have had pleasure in that as well. But it's important to recognize that it may not be sustainable. Things can happen. We're going into tumultuous times. And in my view, the way to deal with that is to come together, to come together as a community and to try to solve this at the scale that is, that is necessary. All right, so I already talked a little bit about creating uh, local meditation groups, but I want to, I think this is the part where uh, working group members might find the most profit in considering in their own lives. And let me, let me just say at the outset that this is kind of a scary thing sometimes, because if you don't have a lot of seekers or people who you talk about this stuff with in your uh, life at home, then it's hard to know where to begin. Um, I would say that uh, a good way to begin is to A, focus on meditation. Most people know what meditation is. By the fact that they're showing interest in meditation, uh, you've weeded out a lot of disinterest and people who are in maybe the sinkhole of that indifference. Um, so you get people who are at least interested in self-inquiry. That, that checks a lot of boxes right off the bat. It's not sufficient for trust, but it gets you a lot of the way there. Um, I want to say that it's not about finding necessarily people who have read The Raw Contact, who are super familiar with Confederation philosophical terms and all of that stuff. But that's a good thing. A, what we're trying to find are friends, essentially. We're trying to find friends who are conversant in some kind of seeking. And it gives you an opportunity to take the values that you've been studying, the principles that you've been trying to apply to your own life, and learn how to talk about them in other people's terms. Meet them where they are, rather than having them come to you. This is actually super, it's been super useful to me, and I am guessing that it would be useful to others to dip their toes maybe into it. Because the more that you can talk uh, fluidly and lucidly about the law of one in different contexts, without using the terminology that we've all agreed encapsulate these concepts, the more you're gonna like understand the philosophy in depth and you're gonna see where the rubber meets the road, not just for yourself, but other people. This will help with service. Um, I want to tell you about how we do things in the Richmond Meditation Group. Uh, so you have an idea of one model that's been working and I, this meditation group has been going on through the pandemic since November 2018. So I didn't think it would last this long. I'm kind of shocked that it has. Um, somehow it worked. And it, <laughs> I, I can tell you, it has to do chiefly with putting a flag up 
and making sure that it's always up. If you say that you want to do uh, meditations every Wednesday, the, the crappy part of this is that you have to be the one that's always there. They get to skip. They can not go. They can flake out. And we have to be okay with that. There is no point getting upset about it. I learned this the very, very hard way that, you know, you go to all of this effort to put this together and then nobody shows up. And sometimes it can seem a little bit inconsiderate. And uh, this is great catalyst. This is great, a great way to look at your reactions to things and to find a way to, uh, to, to balance them. Um, in the meantime, like it's pretty, uh, easy to hold your tongue when it's people you don't know well. And so you have that as a saving grace. And the more that you really want this, the more that you, uh, learn that you just have to be patient. I can tell you to be patient. I remember Steve telling me to be patient. I still wasn't as patient as I needed to be. I had to learn by putting my hand on the stove. And I imagine that's how most people learn. Um, does anybody have any questions at this point? I do, but I'm going to save it for the end. Fantastic. I wanted to go into how Richmond does things just so you have a model. It is based on Carla's uh, uh, practice of running uh, meditation uh, sessions on Saturdays, usually, I think, for a, long, for a long time, public meditations. And these were meditations that often had channeling, but we don't do public Medita or channeling meditations in Richmond. Um, that's an invite only thing. And um, what we're doing in the regular meditations is we get together. I usually offer people drinks. It's really helpful if you can brew coffee or have, you know, seltzers for people and just make them feel comfortable. That was one thing that Carla was very adamant about is being a good hostess, uh, being a good host and making people at ease. If you want one thing that I've learned the last 10 years, you want friends, you want to be treated, you want to be seen as somebody who's friendly and outgoing and, and cares, show that care materially with food and drink. People love that. Make sure they know where the bathroom is, all of that stuff. It seems very, very, very uh, rudimentary. And I now understand why Carla goes into so much detail in her channeling handbook about these rudimentary details because it's so important to set the vibe, as the kids say. You gotta get the vibe right. This is where people start to open up. So after everybody's settled, and we like to do it in a circle in my living room, um, we go around the circle, and uh, you know, sometimes we don't go in order because people have different levels of openness about sharing where they're coming from, but it's about sharing what's in your heart. This is a lot more important when you're doing a meditation because it's in sharing what you're thinking about, what you're struggling with, what things you've dealt with in your week that gave you catalyst. Those things uh, lead to the formulation of a group question. But when we're talking about a meditation, we really just use it as an opportunity to inventory the energies and dynamics within of, in us. And I can't tell you how many times I've talked about what my week has been like where I found myself coming to realizations by talking about it. In, in software, we have this idea of rubber ducking, where sometimes when you explain a problem that you can't figure out to somebody else in the explanation of it, you figure it out just because you've made it, you, you've called it up to, to your conscious awareness in a way where the details of telling it 
make you go over it and you find something that you missed. Uh, it, we say rubber ducking because you could just as easily have this conversation with a rubber duck. You don't really need a live person to do this. Um, but having people listen while you just talk and pour your heart out in some cases, um, it's, uh, it's a great practice. It can sometimes be uncomfortable, and I've seen it get uncomfortable. And uh, again, that's an opportunity to exercise patience. You know, I remember we had one person come one time and only one time who was in a really, really tough domestic situation with drug use and everything. And she just kind of bawled for five minutes. And that was that was super uncomfortable. But um, it was nice to be able to uh, heal that with a meditation and a group of people who cared. It was an opportunity that I would never have had if I had tried to exclude this person or, uh, you know, show them the door for it being too real, you know what I mean? Uh, so I took a lot from that. Uh, one big rule I would say when people are sharing is no interruptions. Uh, the point is not to fix the problems that people are cataloging. It's to make space for them to be expressed and to make people feel that they can get this stuff out and that there's no judgment. If you wanna talk about anything, talk after the meditation. Uh, but in the sharing circle, we're really just trying to get clear on the energy everybody's bringing. Uh, then we agree on a time, a meditation duration. Um, we usually do anywhere from 10 to 20 minutes. We don't really go that long and we never have. I don't think we've ever done 30 minutes. Um, and it's just what people are comfortable with. Uh, I have a little app uh, on my phone that has a like uh, prayer bowl uh, sound with a timer built in. So it sounds like I'm hitting one of these uh, Tibetan prayer bowls or something like that, but uh, it's really just a, an iPhone timer. Um, if possible, get you know distractions out of the way. I usually have problems with the dogs, which is why I am moving our venue from my house to my church um, as of this coming Wednesday. And that's an important point. Um, and, and that's basically our meeting. Uh, we we um, we do the meditation, and then I might read some uh, Confederation channeling excerpts. We might talk about a book, but we just kind of like shoot the shit afterwards, and and that's just the way it is. It, 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 it's very relaxed. We can talk about topics that didn't get addressed earlier. Um, and getting back to the idea of venue. I totally understand that you probably you might not want to open your home up to total strangers. I should say that I didn't open my home up to strangers. Uh, I was able to assemble at that first meeting in November 2018, about a dozen people, all of whom I either knew directly or the people that were they were bringing, they knew. You know, it was by transit property. Uh, so it worked out really well, but I have never had a meetup.com meeting at my house. And that's something I've been trying to do on the side as more of an educational lecture on the wall of one. And like, I've only done that online. I haven't figured out a place where I would be comfortable having strangers off the internet come. Uh, and I would not be, uh, I would not fault anybody if they didn't want to invite people into their home for this, uh, whether they know them or not. So one of the things I would suggest is to find where the community already is and get involved there. I wish I had known about the uh, First Unitarian Universalist Church in Richmond a lot sooner, 
because I would have been able to narrow down uh, people who were interested in having a meditation group that wasn't done according to a strict Buddhist liturgy or something like that. Like that exists, you know, and like there's a lot of stuff like that at different, you know, rec centers and stuff like that. What we are offering is something that's a little bit less structured and a little bit more open and inclusive. Um, and that's what is going to set it apart, if anything sets it apart. So if you can find where the people already are and become part of that community, it seems a little entryist, I know, but like it actually is a way where you can start getting resources that don't rely on your house uh, uh, to, to put the put the meeting together. And so anytime, I mean, but I've heard people meeting at libraries and parks. We've met, we, the Richmond group has met in parks before. We met outside a lot of time during the pandemic when we just got tired of meeting online for meditations. Meditating over a Zoom chat sucks. It's not very good. Um, it's much better to share the energy in person whenever you can. We did do a lot of uh, online meditations, um, but I, I think that it's like as a last ditch effort to keep things together. Nobody skipped as much as when we were remote. Anyway, uh, I would, you know, think about who in your life you would be willing to talk about these deeper issues with. Um, maybe you have nobody, but you might have some people and it doesn't take a dozen people. I was extremely racking my brain to get those dozen people together and they didn't keep coming out. It trickled down to like one or two of those people. And it, and, you know, it hasn't been the same one or two or three or four people who've been coming out every week. So uh, start small if you have to maybe one other person or two other people, that's absolutely fine. And then a lot of what I've found is that people find out by word of mouth from that initial group, what's going on, and they'll find you eventually. Um, if you need some way to advertise it online, talk to me about that. We can put up a page. I just put up a page for the Richmond Meditation Circle on the Other Cells Working Group uh, site, and I can do that for your group as well. It's, it's a shame because I tried to get LL Research to put it on their list of study groups, but I haven't gotten any response from them in a year. So anyway, the, the idea is that um, you're trying to get that in-depth personal friendship uh, connection with people. And this will serve you as you, you know, do group seeking with the working group. As we, as we do these things that are a little bit more that, that aren't as they don't have the warmth of personal connection in person. They, they sort of have to, uh, find that by other means. And it's, it's harder. Right now, I can tell we're all dedicated to this, but it's hard to feel connected when we're looking at screens. Um, so the idea is that you get your, you get your uh, physical proximity energy from this group, and then that can kind of tide you over while you, you know, do working group activities remotely. And since we're on to the working group, I'll talk about what the remote scale um, working group idea fits where that fits in in my in my view. Um, the idea is that we can get a little bit clearer about our group seeking, a little bit finer tuned, a little bit more focused. We have a common vocabulary. We have a common commitment to each other to meditate every day, and so we're bringing our best selves as a group and networking that. We are looking at our catalyst. We are studying the law of one, and we're making progress. And we 
what, what I'm hoping is that as we all make our individual progress and use our relationships with each other to reflect back and see parts of ourselves that we can't see uh, in our local groups or in our local relationships, um, because maybe the mirror is just not tuned to that level, right? It's nice if I can talk in terms of catalysis with one of you, and we can just speak on that term, and you know exactly what I'm talking about. There doesn't have to be like uh, any personal judgment because you understand that everybody's got this stuff, right? And we have this background that sort of like we can we can use to to more efficiently seek together. Um, and then it also makes it possible for us to deepen our understanding through uh, the potential for group work. Uh, the 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 flagship project being the channeling circle. Um, but there are other projects that are possible. Um, people have put together tremendous presentations, which we've been able to share with other seekers. Um, that's a tremendous resource. And I've gotten great feedback about that from people. Um, they may not um, always say it publicly, but they really appreciate these resources and they can sort of dip in and dip out. They don't have to have the level of commitment that we do. Um, we're also trying to, uh, also working together on group projects, I'm hoping is gonna bring us closer together. And so we can start to open up to each other. I mean, many of us are already opening up to each other, but there's always further to go, right? Um, one day I hope maybe we can have some sort of magical working circle as a group because of the relationships and trust and sincerity that we're building right now in our work. That may be a decade off, it may be a year off, I don't know, but these are all possibilities that can occur because we're doing this work, um, because we're doing this relating to each other. Not everybody wants to uh, meet up on a Sunday evening and listen to some jackass uh, tell them about their models of law of one organizing. So y'all are a distinguished group in that you're willing to put up with this. Um, and we can do a lot of stuff with that, I hope. Um, and I'm hoping that, you know, people can bring their ideas to, to bear as well. And we can, we can really start finding consensus and through the group work, building trust. And that leads us to the last sector, planetary scale. So this is really, really, really blue sky thinking for me, but it's the idea that, um, there is a need for an accountability in the organizations that sort of, I don't want to say govern seeking, but that govern the messaging, right? Govern what, it, what the law of one means, who is practicing it in what ways. Um, it also seems to me that there's a place for fundraising, but it's such an icky thing to mix with the actual like seeking work that we're doing. Nobody wants to like start counting, you know, like accounting for people's contributions or anything like that. At the seeking level, we just wanna work together and we just wanna support each other. But we will need resources that we can't always source on our own. We will need guidance that we can't always get from within our ranks about where we fit in in the larger uh, network that we're building. Um, so my idea, and this, this, I am totally willing to hear uh, pushback, and I've already uh, heard different ideas for a nonprofit. And I, uh, from Steve, I don't think that this is uh, necessarily 
against that. It's just a different idea of a role than a nonprofit would play. It would be something where um, perhaps we would form a board that would be composed of people who are leaders in law of one oriented projects right now. So they're already, they already have skin in the game. They're already invested and they've been doing work that is visible. These are people who are the leaders in our larger planetary law of one community. And I, what I was thinking was we would start with them on the, some of them on the board. And in the meantime, we would put together a membership, a dues-based membership organization with voting rights. I was thinking that we could use consensus uh, uh, software like Lumio, which came out of the Occupy movement. And it's about helping people have the discussions online with tools that help them come to consensus and then ratify that consensus. Um, this could be a way in which governance could occur. And after um, the initial board's tenure is up, that kind of group, if it, it's able to make these decisions, could elect a new board. Uh, and then it wouldn't just be like people who are on the board because I think they belong there, or we think they belong there. It would be what the community thinks. In, in terms of distributing resources, the, the idea that uh, makes the most sense to me is uh, something where uh, this, this nonprofit would issue grants for projects to seeking groups, for example, for a channeling intensive or for a book or for some sort of like, uh, maybe we do like a ritual magic weekend or something, or we host some sort of a, a get together we want to put together a new project with a new uh, with a new server, and we need a design that we have to pay for. Um, all of these things uh, would would be ways reasons for us to seek funding. A lot of us are going to be part of this larger organization and contributing money. But what I'm hoping is that with some accountability and a formal governance organization and the transparency that comes from that, um, we, can, we can build accountability in a way that is truly democratic and that, and that uh, uh, speaks to the interests of all seekers. All right. Yeah, so this is just, I think the final slide, creating relationships at multiple scales allows us to build redundancy into the seeking organizer. So it's not, I hate, to, I, hate to be, I hate to say this, but if my seeking and my spiritual community relied only on the working group, I would feel pretty lonely sometimes. At least I can think of times in the past where I would have felt lonely. Having the local meditation group saved me. I want that for other seekers. I want them to have that redundancy and that depth if I only had the Richmond group and I didn't have the working group, I wouldn't have nowhere to take those insights and meditation and those deeper conversations I wanna have about the philosophy. I need it both. One, does, one is not better than the other, they serve each other. And so I don't know if the planetary, if the umbrella organization can fit into that, but I'm interested in something like that. Um, I definitely think you need to keep finances separate from seeking. That comes from personal experience with an organization I will not name. And um, 
remember, it's all about trying to build trust. And to the extent that these organizations frustrate that, they should be thrown away. One thing that I feel very strongly about is that when we're building these things, we need to see them as means to an end and not an end in themselves. They are tools that we use. Remember that first slide. It's organizing is bringing to get people together with a common interest that allows them to address it. The only reason that the institution, the group, the, the nonprofit exists is to address a problem that seekers have or a common interest that they have. And um, I, I really want to stress as a good anarchist, uh, the idea that although we know that like these organizations tend to form thought forms around them, right? They are bigger and they are more in depth and subtle than just structures of laws or rules or conventions that we follow, right? They do have an energy to them, but that energy needs to be evaluated on its own terms and not seen as like an end in itself that needs to be preserved at all costs, an end in itself that needs a legacy created about it. Um, no, these are all things that we're doing to help us build trust with each other. So I'll leave it there. And uh, if there are any questions, I am happy to consider them. Well, folks, that's the whole idea there. That is the proposal um, in its nascent state for a three-tier organizing approach to making sure, and this is the whole thing that we're talking about, making sure that law of one seekers out there on their own have resources, have community, something that isn't really supported by a single organization right now. And it's up to us, I think, to put that in place so that it's not at uh, some other organization's mercy, but instead is a democratically controlled concern. Um, one thing that I left out is that uh, this this middle tier, the working group level, um, the way in my nomenclature, uh, that is uh, not supposed to be an elite. While it is a closed group, and it has to be in order for the trust to be built, it cannot be a way to create a clique or an elite or to say, you don't get to work at this level because we don't like you or we don't vibe with you or something like that. One of the uh, functions of the umbrella organization that I left out was that it would facilitate and provide resources for new working groups. It, the idea would be that if there was uh, – an inability to accommodate a seeker in an existing working group, we could help them form their own. And we could probably, with some time, connect them with other seekers who we've, who we've run into uh, who, who wish this. Um, it's a way in which there is no single working group that is the one working group to belong to. Instead, we're seeding working groups and we're coming up with a kind of... Uh, uh, network or confederation of them, all having perhaps different foci in their seeking, but all united under the law of one in a common ethics and way of thinking about the situation on earth. So with that little caveat at the end, I'm going to end the episode here. I hope you found this interesting. And if you want more information on the 
Council, uh, please go to councilforsocialmemory.org. And there's a sign-up sheet there so that you can uh, be apprised of updates on this idea and participate when we get something together, if we do. I won't promise that we do because we may find out or decide that it's a bad idea and go some other direction. Um, but either way, I'd love your feedback and where you see problems with this idea and where you might see some promise. So anyway, I'll leave it there. And in the meantime, stay in the love and light.